0: The experience of being human has many universal qualities that make it easier to learn together than apart. The purpose of Emotional Warrior Radio is to bring the learning processes one goes through in talk therapy out into the world so everyone has the opportunity for growth. Come and join us on this journey. Hello and welcome everyone to Emotional Warrior Radio. I have Lorna back with us. She did session one and two titled Codependent Family Sessions and Narcissistic Chaos Oh, and Learning from Being Vulnerable. Actually, that's the first one, Narcissistic Chaos and Learning from Being Vulnerable. And the Learning from Being Vulnerable was the highest listened to um, session and I so meaning that a lot of people learned a lot from it and she contacted me recently again and with us today um, is going to talk more about something that she left with to work on and her reflection on that um, so I want to welcome Lorna back and and just start start the discussion about what what it is that i said and then what it is that you have you've come to find and then we'll unpack it in a more organic way
1: yeah that sounds wonderful just because i didn't have much planned i know the first well honestly our first session i had the whole story planned and then the second time i was like okay like i'll you know actually allow myself to be vulnerable this time so I'm really excited to be back. Uh, I took your advice. And one of the last things that you said to me when we were talking was, you know, I think you've got the protection part covered, you know, you've learned how to advocate for yourself and maybe it's time to start letting more loving and supportive people into your life. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've really focused on doing that. So I have at least two friends that I've been friends with for one 20 years and another about 10. Mm -hmm. And, um, one I met when I was in middle school and the other one I met when I was in college and we've been friends for a while, but I haven't really been super close with them because I realized that I was keeping them at a distance because from my perspective, their life, their life seemed very put together. And I was afraid that because my life was a mess that I wouldn't be a good influence in their life. And essentially I felt like I didn't deserve to be in their lives. Like I wasn't in a good enough place.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah and and i
0: think and that's and that's a that's an interesting observation usually you have to go in a, another layer and that's what we call kind of uh, well i mean clinically resistance analysis where you know a suggestion is made and you feel that a pause you can't just it, your thoughts don't automatically go towards it. It's, it's not like a positive thing to think of there's a pause there's a There's something in between you and doing it. And generally it stays just a pause. It doesn't necessarily feel, you're not like filling in the blank unless you look at the blank (laughs) long enough, or that you get to this place where the defense is right. We've worked through, you know, this protective part of you. And so that defense didn't really need to be there anymore. You weren't so focused on keeping that wall up. So you could focus now on the pause, what is stopping me? And in the, in that space, you, you recognize, I mean, this is really good insight, um, to begin with, which is that, you know, there was a comparative moment that you didn't see them as people that could support you. Like they are, you couldn't see them as they are anymore. Mm -hmm. You actually saw them in a new light, which was Mm -hmm. that they are better, and I am worse. And somehow my, if I go and uh, try to, you know, be friends with them or even ask for support for them or, you know, whatever it is that somehow you're infecting that space or you, you you are the mess in their well-put-together world. Mm -hmm. Now, because you know that that's not them, now, because you're getting better at that, is that you, what, what do you think is, is in this for you? Now, this is where, like, again, that associative process of, because we're, we're always, we're trying to put language to almost symbolic levels of meaning. What, where do you think this is coming from or what comes to mind when you're, when I say that back to you, especially that last part?
1: Um, it goes back to what we talked about in our last session about never feeling like I was one loved unconditionally or accepted unconditionally. And I think that that really played a big role in my uh, OCD because purity was a big thing for me in my OCD. I didn't feel I felt like. I had to be pure in order to be loved and accepted by people. And because of that, I was on this like self-destructive path of, you know, setting myself up for these unrealistic t- expectations and then failing them, of course, because, you know, they're unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And, and it just kind of reinforced for me that mm-hmm. I was like a toxic virus, that I would infect these other people that didn't deserve it. I viewed it as a means, another means of protection. I was protecting them from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that,
0: that protect, right. So we was like protection of you, protection of them. It's still that, that protected defense, but in this way, you you were, and, and maybe we could talk a little bit more about the purity part because there's. I mean, we can also say a little bit of like, if I'm not, you know, the the perfectionism comes out here a little bit too, but I -hmm. want to stick with purity and not move it into that general category. Because Mm -hmm. I I do think how you conceptualize what, you know, what the again, what you were trying to clean out your mind, clean up your mind. What what do you think you were trying to make pure?
1: Definitely my mind. Mm -hmm. Um because there was just a lot of, I don't even know how to describe what the inside of my brain would probably look like. uh.
0: (laughs) Try. That's that's an interesting (laughs) metaphor. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: I think at these times, especially at that time in my life when I realized that I had this purity, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, concept um Mm -hmm. issue Mm -hmm. um it would have been a really dark place to be in like literally quite dark because the I was so lonely like I was so painfully lonely that and I was I was convinced that I was lonely because it was my fault Mm -hmm. and I realized that I felt like I was at fault Because prior to my marriage and my best friend and I being in this healthy spot that we're in, in our friendship now, um, no one had ever really acknowledged that they had done anything wrong towards me. So my only conclusion was that it was, it was me. I was the common denominator in all these situations And it made me feel really lonely and really unworthy. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's, that's powerful because I think we come back to the place where a lot of people don't recognize how they've made sense of their upbringing of the lack, the neglect, and that they really, because chronically under the stress of trying to make meaning without anyone, coming across the line and being vulnerable too, going, I'm sorry, I'm not seeing you. Or, you know, I, 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 can, I can feel that you're hurt or I, I, I care about your happiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, children left alone to just navigate their inner and outer world without structure and seeing a lot of things around them too that most likely are a mess.
1: You're right. They're are
0: yeah. identi- right? you identifying with the mess and, and you're saying, okay, well, I guess I'm part of this and that's why they don't pay attention to me. I, again, there's no, there's no like, oh, okay. I remember the moment I made that, you know, construction up. It's, it's with the adult mind that we're able to see how, you know, you're, you made meaning of the past because th- these are not, these are not parts of you that we can like say, like, have, like, there's nobody now really treating you this way. Right. Right. So, but there's still this part of the mind and like a core aspect of you, right? And that's, but I, th- I think that people don't necessarily, and that's why I'm kind of explaining this more, recognize that shame experienced at deep levels and unresolved, has to, I mean by by anyone else in the world, meaning like never acknowledged, will start, to have like try to be reconciled by the mind, so you can move on. Otherwise, you just collapse. Also, shame too. If if you really were to say it's because your fault, that would be really frightening to the person, to the child that has to depend on the parent. They, we almost, we were pretty much structured to make sure that we stay close to even very bad parents in order to survive. Mm-hmm. So there's there's something that our mind does that protects us. From being able to see that it is them and not us, mm-hmm. so that's I, I I think that that's where I'm I'm trying to get you and to to talk a little bit more. Do you sense that? Do you sense that the shame goes back a long time ago and that you slowly built defenses up around it? Or oh,
1: yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of internalized shame. Um surrounding especially my relationship with my father um just because i think that he was the one that kind of planted that seed Mm -hmm. and i i think fortunately unfortunately because my parents divorced when i was so young it did save me a lot of damage um that could have happened
0: right
1: um because i just remember like It's really hard to say out loud, but I think my father was like grooming me to be this like picture perfect daughter that like, you know, went to church because he claims to be this like incredibly Christian person, but I mean, doesn't really live up to the values that are taught in that sect. Um, It's very much more like a, a means of judgment of moral measurement for him. And, um, cause I remember like one time he bought me, it looked like an 18th century Victorian nightgown. Like it was literally white with the high collar and he had me put it on and take a shower and brush my hair out. And then like posed me to look like I was praying at the foot of my bed. Mm. And he wanted, he wanted to take these photos of me in that way. And I, when I reflect on that moment, you know, if, when I was young, I was just excited to have my dad's attention, especially with, you know, the the neglect that I had, Mm
2: -hmm. but I look
1: back on that and I think, wow, that's really fucking creepy. Mm -hmm. And, and I was used a lot in that way. Like the love that I received from him wasn't genuine. Like I remember when he was nearing the end Like when he was in like near ending the marriage, he was talking to other women and I didn't make these connections until I was older, but he was using me as an illustration of him having these like deeply rooted family values. And so he would have these women talk to me on the phone. Mm -hmm. They, They would send me gifts that he would then give to me as if they were from him in front of my mother to shame her. And so like, I became a tool for my father to be able to shame my mother for not being the perfect partner Mm -hmm. that he needed and wanted. And the older I got, you know, after they divorced and my mom gave me space to grow into this other person um, where I got to explore some of the more like macabre side of myself where mm-hmm. I, I really, cause I did, I enjoyed like my favorite memories of childhood were my mom and I watching horror movies together. You know, she showed me the classic, the mummy. And then we watched the mummy with Brendan Fraser together and Dracula. Like mm-hmm. these were, these were things that I really enjoyed. And I was, I was reading a lot of fantasy and mystery Uh, When I was a kid, you know, the ones that are like kid appropriate, like goosebumps and all that stuff. But
0: um,
1: I got to explore these sides of myself. And it was like, the more I turned into this person that wasn't this angelic, blonde haired, blue eyed angel that my father had in his mind, the further the distance between us began to grow. And then we started to have like genuine, like altercations of him shaming me for the behavior that I was displaying around boys because I was trying to get their attention or something like that. You know, women don't do that, you know, talking to me about virginity, but also then making comments about my boobs being too big.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, and so that, but that's, I mean, as far as, I hate to go all the way back, you know, mm-hmm. just for people out there, you know, thinking about this divorced saved me more damage than I, I, you know, I want to mention that that's such a common, I mean, not that I'm a proponent of getting married before you're, you really know who you are and, Mm -hmm. and married to somebody that you're willing to do a lot of work and growth with, because there's no such thing as a relationship that lasts without it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but, but the, the, this fact that if you did that, and it was a mistake that somehow divorce is as a shame, shameful thing or something that people can't handle. And actually it's something that really is helpful to the parent and to the children, if done in a way where, you know, you are protecting them from abuse. hmm Right. Further emotional abuse. And, and, and really, and there's a way, I mean, not that this seemed, this doesn't seem so over, this is a sh- strangely covert and difficult, right? Especially because it pulls in the attention of your father mm-hmm. to parse out as a child, as being perverse.
1: hmm Yeah. Um, unfortunately though, the divorce didn't occur because my mom was making a decision to protect me. The divorce occurred because my dad didn't want to do the work. And that's, that's how every marriage of his has ended, which is why I laugh in his face when he says that, you know, he's a Christian person because I'm like, well, you've literally cheated on every single wife that you've had. And his third wife, his wife after my mother was only a couple years older than my sister. Mm-hmm. Which is very, in my opinion, predatory in nature, but that wasn't something that I actually put together until a couple of years ago.
0: Uh-huh. And um, you and you are now. So but this is we are talking about the circumstances, like you said, the planting of the seed
2: mm-hmm.
0: of shame. do you do you find still a strong identification with what he did to you? Or do you see what I'm saying by that?
1: Um, no. Can you it's, go into that a little more?
0: Right. So when an adult uses a child as a tool, like you said, mm-hmm. of their own fantasy, perversion, uh, need to yell at something, I mean, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the child being, is learning who they are through the eyes of the other. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful until you can, de- it's very powerful and uh, thinking about yourself. And there now, I mean, I, we are talking about religion and all of a sudden, boom, with the Victorian uh, nightgown purity makes so much sense now. Mm-hmm. Why, why you in prayer is as a, as a form of cleaning up the mind. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and emptying out all the bad things that you've done, if that's confession, and you know, asking for all the good things, and so I mean, there's so much that makes sense now about what of one of the obsessional tendencies that you had, or why that that was a, a focus of yours. Mm-hmm. That's showing me that an identification with you still, it, you you understand this intellectually, but is the identification still alive?
1: Right. Um. Yeah. There was. Oh gosh. Yeah. There's a lot that came up when you were talking about that, because I remember like just now, uh, a time when my father and like after my parents had divorced, I was sleeping, uh, in bed with my dad, I, think he had a nightmare or something. I don't know what exactly it was, but he, I crawled into bed with him and he called his girlfriend at the time and just started talking about like what an angel I looked like next to him. And, um, I just, yeah, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think there is, like, my dad has this tendency to want these people around him to live up to this, like, perfectionism. I remember, because my sister and I, before our own falling out, had talked about how in his marriage with their mother, so the, his first wife before my mom, um, it was so stressful in the household because their mom was so driven by not wanting him to leave that she would try to give him this cookie cutter. It's genuinely the American dream, white picket fence, like Mm. all that shit. Mm -hmm. If my sister didn't adhere to that perfection, then she was beat. Not she was slapped by her mom Mm. and um, my brother. I don't know what kind of projections were placed on him, but I see the pattern repeating a lot in his life. And I remember when my other brother came into the picture when we found out that, you know, my dad had, um, a kid in college that he didn't know about. Um, my dad was easily able to let go of my other brother because, you know, God had brought in my new brother because that was the child my dad wanted. And that is literally what his thought pattern was that he expressed to me. Mm-hmm. The other unfortunate thing that I'm realizing too, as we're talking is the shame that I developed as an identity because of my dad was actually reinforced by my mom, because Mm. when I would do something that was emotionally triggering for her, the way that she would express that is saying something like, well, this hurts me because your father used to do this to me.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And that was something that she didn't necessarily deal with, right? Instead of ever really working through that, she now just, that's the, the child now symbolizes the connection to the man that hurt her instead Mm of again, being able to deconstruct that and saying, oh, he used my daughter for that, but that my daughter is going to be somewhat like him, Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's that is part of it too that I, that I don't again divorce and blending families all these things are incredibly complicated, but that a child would ever be shamed for being like, is 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 very problematic. And, and carrying that shame or worried, oh, you know, I'm acting like mom right now, or I'm acting like dad, and I'm going to get that, you know, that, that also needs to be spoken up for by the adult child at some point, if that continues, is you know, that's your responsibility to work through. Of course, I'm like them to a certain extent, but there's no, there's no way you get to put that on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm being human. Um, and, and you need to, to work on that. And, and I'm sorry that you're, you're suffering, but that's not my responsibility.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so, I mean, that's a, that's a part of this that I'm, I'm kind of like proactively putting a stance on as far as boundaries are concerned with parents in an adult life where parents haven't done any work, right? You still have that opportunity. However, you know, one of the things that when we go back is that your father definitely, um, because a little girl's desire for her father's attention is profoundly strong. And even more so, if we really look at, you know, more of a psychoanalytic view of, of the family dynamic, is that, you know, even the idea of competition for attention with the other female and that you're getting it and that, that a child is naturally narcissistic and grandiose and loves to be the star of the show. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, it's over time that that's frustrated and tempered. And obviously mom has, you know, gets to sleep in bed with him every night. There's, there's something about what you figure out and your love object changes, but your attention, your desire for attention through a critical period. Is is important that he gives it to you, but the way that he gave it to you was that he was like omnipotent, that he yeah. could he could tell God what child to bring him next. And because God's listening to him, you know, that he has some direct link, and, and God is a very powerful idea for a child too, because this is above the parent and and all watching. And and then tell me a little bit about. More so this, he, he dressed you as an angel, pure, your identification with him saying that to you. Like, I think, I think that there's a vulnerability there of a, a little bit as far as, because that's a beautiful thing, but all of a sudden it's not because it's turned on its head due to perfectionism. Right. Right. So how, how do you work that out? I mean, because those are conflicting ideas to, to really want to be something that somebody said that you were, okay. but then all of a sudden not be able to clearly live up to it due to this constant cycling of children and women. It's...
1: Um, I think eventually where I went with that is, I mean, I definitely wouldn't say these were my exact thoughts um, as a child, but I think somewhere along the line, I said, you know what? Fuck you. Uh I'm going to figure out who I am without you. Mm -hmm. But like you said, because the divorce happened and, you know, there's neglect from both of my parents for completely different reasons. I didn't have anybody guiding me in that Finding myself journey, and I was making a lot of really poor decisions when I was doing that because mm-hmm. um, I didn't know any better. And I don't even think it was rebellion. I mean, at that point, I think it was just I'm. I had started the process of cutting those cords between myself and my parents, and it was right. a really painful process because. I, like you said, like my dad is still a part of me and I still wanted to understand and reconcile those pieces of me that were like him.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And when I was younger, because of the way that my mom would approach things, like if I did something as small as she says the word ideal instead of idea. So she'll say, that's a good ideal. And I would, (laughs) I would correct her. And she would say don't do that. That's exactly what your father used to do to me. And it drove me nuts. So the intent about understanding these parts of me that were like him was in effort to make sure I wasn't upsetting my mom. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And it is in, in some ways it, that nothing yet for you. Right. Right. That, and now, I mean, kind of getting back to the idea too, of like, So where do I fit in in the world? I mean, still Mm -hmm. we're talking about I'm cutting cords with these people. I'm trying to figure out my own life considering what they gave me to go out into the world to do that. And it's very chaotic. Mm -hmm. And and even, but that's the problem is that they still were the support. You know, you had to keep coming back to that as a young adult Mm -hmm. or, you know, and trying to to figure that out. They're important relationships. They don't just... Go away. So uh, I, I, I wonder too, this is where, you know, your parents putting upon you that if you can go ahead and change your behavior, I won't ever have to deal with a feeling. Yeah. And same with your father. Yeah. That that becomes a preoccupation At some point and not necessarily that you're always having to do that for them in their presence you will and you'll regress but that's now that's what i call about like that kind of codependent mindset it shifts everything in your life from an external from an internal point of view which a lot of times we have more so in adolescence to an external point of view where i really can control outside here if i just stay in alignment with what ever doesn't make that mad, make that bad. And, and I, and I wonder about that being again, like problematic as you enter into the world, because that might have been like a chaotic transformation, like transition. And that's where friend. I mean, that's again, a time where instead of having friends and fun and doing things, it might've been more particularly distressing for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, Talk yeah. a little bit about that transition out, out, out of the, the home.
1: Yeah. Um, so it was an incredibly messy and distressing process. I mean, it still has been in, even in my adulthood. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, there was something you said that now my brain is <laughs> wants to go back to, and I can't remember, but, um, yeah. So, I remember the first time that I tried to establish some level of independence um, with my my mom. I was with this uh, guy in my senior year of high school and we decided that when we graduated, we were gonna move in together, we were so in love. And I don't think it's a surprise to anyone to know that this guy was terrible and abusive. um, And I thought that these things were normal. Mm -hmm. because this is me repeating the same cycle of trying to find someone around me. I don't know that I could somehow fix and it would make things. Okay. I would fix myself that, that kind of cliche. That's so it's a cliche for a reason. Um, and my mom and I went out to lunch and she was trying to warn me against moving in with this person. You know, she, she, She had had a very distressing, tumultuous experience in her young adulthood when she went to college, had a string of really terrible boyfriends, you know, everything she wanted to protect me from. There was good intention there, but it was incredibly traumatic because we got into an argument and I was like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Mm. And. Also, who the fuck are you to try and do anything now that resembles some sort of parenting when all you've done has been neglectful because you're shrouded in your own depression and you won't help yourself. Like, mm-hmm. fuck off. Like, it was bad. And mm-hmm. I had ridden there with her to the restaurant and we were driving back and I just did not want to be anywhere near her. So I tried to get out of the car at a stoplight and walk the rest of the way home it wasn't that far I was like I'll do it Mm -hmm. she manages to pull me back into the car and jumps on the highway so that I cannot get out of the car and drives me to Arkansas to see her father my grandfather Mm -hmm. so that he can talk some sense into me and
0: it
1: was awful. I was, I don't think I've ever been that scared in my entire life because I was being taken somewhere against my will. And it, and my grandfather was one of those people that I did not want to see. I did not want him to see the mess behind the curtain. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: He was a person that I admired and put on a pedestal. I didn't want him to see the imperfections behind everything. I didn't want him to see anything other than the image that I was trying to project onto him. Mm -hmm. And so I was freaking out and I was like yelling and I was crying. And my mom said nothing the entire trip. She was, she just stared ahead. And as soon as we pulled up to my grandfather's house, I bolted out of the car and I ran it. Like, I think I ran like two or three neighborhoods deep to try and get away. And I hid inside of a, abandoned building and called my boyfriend to come pick me up and did he yes he did Um, but I mean it took him like an hour and a half to get there because that's how far we were from (laughs) where we originally were so I had to hide that whole time well you know
0: in but that's again this there's a I mean in that story I I hear the desire I mean there is so much about the situation that about I need to hide from I can't hear it I don't want you to see me,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? There is there is a, a, a way that you're thinking about this and reacting that, you know, and, and how you're narrating that continues to show that, you know, there was no, there was so much anger. You had found a relationship that was, you know, something similar for you to, you know, take punish yourself with in some ways. Um, or delude that yourself with and, and that you are going to have this, you know, negative thing in your life and nobody else was going to be able to take it away. And that wasn't, I think that's an interesting thing is because, you know, there's a fragileness and an obstinance, like I'm going to do my own thing. Right. And I'm gonna be with this guy and screw you. What what do you have to say about anything? Look at you, look in the mirror, even though the advice most likely was correct. Moving him with him was not a, a positive move, wasn't self-preserving. Right. Right. But then there's this other part of you that knows that, but doesn't know how to get out of that situation and recognizes how vulnerable you are and will not show that to anyone. And, and that's the, the like, that was what it feels like you were running away from was being seen by somebody you weren't angry at. It's easy to see somebody that you can, you know, swat away like, oh, okay, you, you don't have anything on me lady, <laughs> right? That's, that's a, that's not a vulnerable moment. In fact, it's, it's hard because you can't hear through the anger, but, but there is something about, you know, there's a con, let's say you these men and your dad or the, your grandfather have like, um, they're like a superego or, or conscience mm-hmm. more so. And, and I want you to conceptualize them like that. Like, what, what are you afraid they're going to see?
1: I was afraid that my grandfather would abandon me just like everyone else had.
0: And abandon you for what reasons?
2: Because I was imperfect. Mm
0: -hmm. In what way?
2: I was with somebody that I shouldn't have been with in the first
1: place. I had been doing drugs to kind of, to feel happy.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I was afraid that he wouldn't think I was as smart as I was
0: <laughs>
2: and that he wouldn't be proud of me and that he would withdraw his support for me.
0: <laughs>
2: and I mean, honestly, like it, his support was my lifeline. You know, like if it weren't for him, like my mom and I would have been genuine, like destitute at a point in our lives, like we were living out of the hotel. Mm-hmm. And and he he came to save us. He he was always this like beacon in the chaos. He you know like I had moved around so much, and he had always lived in the same house. <laughs> he always smelled like white the white Tic Tacs. <laughs> I know that's so like random. Yeah, that's. But he always had he always had a pack of Tic Tacs on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His favorite drink in the world was old charter and tab and he Mm -hmm. always smelled like it. And in, in addition to the Tic Tacs and he was a constant that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And I was really afraid of losing that.
0: Mm -hmm. And what's interesting in this moment too, you're describing somebody that's incredibly supportive. (laughs) Yep. Just like the friends that you're talking about,
2: yeah. Well, he was—he was definitely one of the ones that I tried to like um, hide myself from, and it was really hard when he died because I really regretted that.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and it seems, and it does seem now, in some ways, if if we look at how what we call disintegrated. When somebody is a certain way, but we place upon them that they're an abandoner, your mom and you were in a hotel room. He saved you. He's a rescuer, but you're thinking he's an abandoner. This is what we don't really make sense of in the moment, believe me, (laughs) that's not something, oh, I can see that I'm not really reconciling um, my thoughts with reality about the person. We get merged in fight or flight, or we get merged in the fear because, you know, uh, Lorna, I still feel and see a really strong, strong identification with your mother Mm -hmm. happening at a, at, a, at a deep level, and because of that, and that your father divorced her, and and it and it left all of these these things. Now, and you couldn't ever be perfect enough for them to stay together, or be the one in his eyes that was more perfect. You were rejected or dejected with her, mm-hmm. possibly. And so, th- this is where it's like you know you. You had this, you were, you were planted, the plant, the seed was planted that you were perfect, that you were pure and that you were an angel. And then all of this happened and it really corrupted that idea of yourself, even though it was strongly planted in there Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and, and never was it it made sense. And, And in some ways, again, it, it, it shows that it's like, because somebody really made you think this about you, any other way of being, which is pretty normal. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a just a chaos and horrifying and disgusting. And you're a terrible person. You're, you're dumb and you're on drugs and you're with a bad guy. That's actually normal to a certain extent, you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to kind of decisions that we make and experimenting and whoops on this. And it's, it's a very normal thing to have difficulty figuring out life outside, you know, once you leave the house Mm -hmm. and, and making bad decisions and, you know, and smart has nothing to do with it. You can be a smartest person on earth. I promise you navigating the adult world, you're going to fall into some pretty difficult times at times. So there's, there's, see, there's no normalizing. There was just, if I have, and, and if I have, this is my, this is the the core level of what, this is what I'm set at angel, mm-hmm. but I'm with mom and all these things have happened. And now you, you are really struggling with all of what it is. And I want you to kind of talk a little bit more about that. If you're identifying with her too, and the rejection that she experienced, because yeah.
2: Oh, no, I was going to ask you to
1: go into that a little bit more.
0: Well, be, because the link between like how you experience as a child, your parent being divorced. Like you said, you you really wanted to be clear that he did that to her. And that all of these women had to be perfect to be with him. And that there was one woman that even did like the, the Disney, you know, house kind of thing, some sort of, you know, leave it to beaver stuff and still couldn't satisfy him. Right. That if, if you're likened to that because of what happened to your mother, if you're feeling part of that group of women that have been
2: rejected. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do. Mm -hmm.
1: I'm trying to think about it like in the context of my mother. I think I'm I'm struggling to talk mm-hmm. about it with the in the context of my mom.
0: Of um, how you of how you're you might be like her in some ways.
1: Yeah. Um <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I wonder why that's difficult.
1: <laughs> um I know like there's when, when my, when my parents divorced, like when I was a little bit older, I asked my mom why she never left because over time, I, you know, th- you know, she would reveal things to me about things that he had done to her, or my sister would tell me things that he was doing that I didn't know about. Like one example was that, um, my mom gained a lot of weight because of her depression. And like, that didn't align with my dad's you know, you have to be perfect kind Mm of, um, expectations that he projected and that really impacted their physical intimacy. And whenever they were talking about it one day, he circled all of her fat and Sharpie and, and asked her, how can I be attracted to this?
2: In a picture? No, on her
1: body. And she, and she let him, And I, I asked my mom, why didn't you leave earlier? Like, why didn't you leave sooner? Because it wasn't her that had made the decision to be divorced. It was my dad. And she told me it was because she made a vow that she would never leave. So she just resigned herself to the misery of being Mm -hmm. in that marriage because she took those vows so
2: seriously Mm -hmm. And I judged her a lot for that, because I was like, why would you ever subject yourself to something like that,
1: you know, like, Mm. instead of trying to like, understand that, you know, there's just a lot that she didn't do to that she wasn't equipped to advocate for herself. Yeah to have self-love and self-worth and Mm self-acceptance. And that's probably why she ended up with a person like my father.
0: Right. And and why she didn't leave and decided Mm -hmm. to, and decided to put invest all of her. A lot of people do this, especially coming from strong religious backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of taking emotional responsibility for the abuse that they're suffering go actually that, but this is what God's given me. And this is the vow I took in front of God. And I have to do this. And this is my sacrifice. Like, (laughs) wait a second. You know, I'm going to go ahead and put all my energy into that basket instead of taking emotional responsibility for myself and my children. Okay. That doesn't sound like a very healthy belief system. Um, However, you know, when, when we, when you go into seeing this, this is one of these things that are very dissonant. Again, a child is not possibly like yourself, so indoctrinated. You're seeing more of the trauma. The people, children can see the hypocrisy, and then children can't be proud of their parents. Mm-hmm. It's really terrible. It's in, the, but at the same time, they're identifying, yeah. meaning that they are learning about you know, they are literally learning through observation and being close. You don't have to be, you're not maybe listening to what they're saying and then Mm -hmm. becoming a parrot. You, you are absorbing like a sponge mannerisms, way of talking, thinking, moving, and emotional learning is something that is happening implicitly. So Mm -hmm. we can't avoid it, but at the same time, we're in complete conflict with it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's (laughs) right? This is the the major dilemma. And so when we pass through, I mean, so I I think that this is kind of the work, right? Is, is to recognize and have empathy, like recognize what we've gone through and how the, that was, that had meaningful impact. That was really difficult was, you know, not only was she not leaving because he hurt her body, but for you too, Mm -hmm. Right, we you know in in, in protecting you yep. from that kind of bringing up, so or that kind of emotional abuse. It's this is something that again is is kind of again implicit. We almost think oh of, of our parent more. Why didn't you do this for you? And so there might not be a lot of respect in that regard, you know. And but there is a lot of hurt that you weren't included in why. Mm-hmm. But there's also, you know, I, I think when we're we're moving into adulthood, there is a residue. It's tough to to name, but there is a maybe even a conceptualization of mom, of the imperfect, of the messy, of the person that didn't protect herself in you somewhere. And it's and it's not like oh I'm like it, it might only come out at certain times, but I I do. I do wonder about that because as far as you feeling like too much of a mess to be around a friend that's loving and supportive, like being too much of a mess to be around your grandfather that was loving and supportive, you know, to continue this on, but then go ahead and stay isolated and lonely, starting to sound like mom.
2: God, Bianca, (laughs) I knew it was
1: coming too. I was like, oh, I see the dots. I see I'm connecting the dots. <laughs> yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always somewhere.
1: I'm laughing. So I don't cry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. But it's, Shit. but you can feel for yourself, but you can also have empathy for mom in the same moment of realizing that, you know, l- lost without help really yeah. is a, uh, uh, a very vulnerable place to be. Not, not sure where, where to go.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's
1: um. I didn't, I didn't realize that that was likely what she was doing and a survival mechanism that I picked up as well along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where you go from here, right. Is understanding the difference between you and her. Yeah. because like I, I continue to say, part of this work is untangling them from us. Yeah, so we can be more autonomous or have at least more of our own emotional energy and our focus so we can do new things. Yeah, and and like you said that actually, you were talking about a, a podcast earlier and a book, mm-hmm. you know that, that it ends with us. Mm-hmm. you know, or I'm not sure the the title, did I get it right?
1: Yeah. It ends with us by Colleen Hoover. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that's what this room, this, what it, it takes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. I do feel like there is, um, I don't know. Sometimes I want to call it a burden and sometimes I want to call it a blessing, but I, I do feel like the responsibility of, ending these cycles has fallen on to me. Um, I think I was the only one, and this isn't to, to be judgmental of anyone in my family, but I think I've been the only one who's looked at the baggage and said, I'm going to do the work so that I don't have to carry this with me anymore. Yeah. And a lot of that responsibility has been placed on, on me. And it's also why I... Ha- I tend to intellectualize my feelings more than actually feeling and expressing them. Um, and I do that for others as well, mm-hmm. because I, I want to help them understand too. You know, when I think when you start doing this work, you, you under, you start to feel a freedom that you've not ever felt before. And when you understand the importance of mental health work, Mm-hmm. You want the people that you love in your life to know it too. And you want to give that to them. And I've tried. And I mean, in some cases I've been really successful and in some cases, you know, I've just been blown off. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I have a hard time. I've had a really hard time feeling my emotions to their full extent.
0: Mm-hmm but you can see, hopefully you have some empathy for yourself as to why before, when we were talking, we were really talking about your partner's family and Mm -hmm. all their emotions are just (laughs) out there, right? You know, hi, here's, here's my emotional chaos. Make sure that you have no room for anything other than us, because here we come. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Your family, you know, just knowing like even in this moment, like what it takes to get back into some of those experiences that you were talking about. Those are incredible, incredibly heavy and difficult experiences to not only think about, but talk about and allow the emotional imprint back into your consciousness without support. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I, I, you know, and I think that what's wonderful is that if we can maybe even, you know for our friends and for our family you know if to hold space for the story to be told so it doesn't have to be repeated i almost i I also think in just in that that there's a powerful offloading of the burden that we never got as children and now we're just doing a lot of offloading because we've been having to hold on to it we haven't had anyone yet to listen are you going to say something yeah?
1: Oh, I, I was just thinking that that is very accurate. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking of that book, It Ends With Us, and there was something in there about the reason that cycles are hard to break is because people are scared to do the work that comes with saying, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. And that's what I mean when I say like I took on the burden and the blessing of being that person. Yeah. Um, because I was smart enough to see like, these are not things that I want for myself or in my own partnerships with other people. Mm -hmm. And I've worked really hard to do that for, I mean, I I don't plan on having kids, but my siblings did. And so I've worked really hard on trying to create that example for them. And in my own book, when I like I was interviewing my nephew with his consent for it. And mm-hmm. we were talking about that. And, you know, I told him about the whole protector thing. And he was like, Well, you did protect me, but not in the way that you thought. Like you didn't, act, you weren't able to shield me from the cycles that were being repeated. But you were able to demonstrate by example tools to deal and manage those cycles. Yeah. And I, it was the first time like i had it was the first time i had seen the fruits of my labor you know for people that came after me
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i was like oh wow like this actually it didn't work out in the way that i thought but it still worked out
0: mm-hmm. right that's right it wasn't it wasn't a self-gratifying thing i wasn't right. the protector you right. know but, right. Right. And that's, I think that's so that's, that's awesome to see. But what I did was actually, you know, like teach them to fish instead of gave them the fish, which would have been the protector, you know, it's, uh, that is, that is powerful. And that's exactly what we need to do. And I absolutely, I think that we've got quite a few <laughs> emotional warriors out there that are like ready to do the work to develop themselves. So we're comfortable with ourselves emotionally and, and stop, you know, in some ways defaming ourselves or shaming ourselves or thinking of ourselves as anything other than, you know, human, normal, good, bad, indifferent, all sorts of things. I'm all these things. So are you, by the way, I know that to be a fact, <laughs> you know, so um, let's, let's be real with one another and, and heal and grow and have a good time because there's so much opportunity beyond getting stuck in these cycles for us to explore and be in the world, you know? So I'm, I'm really hopeful for you, your memoir, Thank right, you To the podcast. I can't wait. And, and, and everything else. And, um, and yeah, I just, I, and any anytime that you have a question like this or you're exploring it, please feel free to reach out and we will, we'll dig a little deeper. How about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Lorna.